I'm excited at this point to welcome back into our studios uh, Jack Rose, a very good friend to the morning show and uh, well-known to many of you for his tireless efforts on behalf of NAMI, the National Alliance for Mental Illness. Uh, And uh, Jack Rose has been past president, now a board member, just as busy as ever. And uh, his uh, visit to the morning show uh, is an in anticipation of Mental Illness Awareness Week, which is actually next week. And uh, so a couple of fundraisers will be coming up. And we want to, of course, also just talk about the very good ongoing work done by NAMI and uh, all of its uh, many uh, uh, devoted volunteers. Jack Rose, we welcome you back to the morning show. Thank you very much, Greg. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate your uh, continued support. I know that uh, a lot of people know your story, uh, but we should just touch on it briefly, the fact that mental illness has been uh, a a part of the lives of two of your children and that that's one of the reasons why this has been such an important issue for you for a long, long time now. That is correct. Uh, As you said, we have two adult children. Uh, Our daughter uh, was hospitalized when she was uh, 16. Uh, with mental illness. We were still in the, in the Navy at the time. And uh, today our daughter is 47, and she is uh, past director of Integral Yoga at the Satchitananda Ashram out in Buckingham, Virginia. And our son Brody, who we are going to visit this weekend for his 44th birthday, he had a, uh, a breakdown at uh, 24 shortly after he graduated from the University of Wisconsin. And, in fact, you've had uh, Brody on the show. Yes, talented a- artist. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and, and it's, it's gratifying also to uh, have these two stories of, of people who have come through difficulty and, uh, and uh, emerged out the other side. And uh, it, it is, th- these are stories of hope. That just because uh, mental illness uh, is a reality in someone's family, it does not mean that it has to, in effect, you know, end end your life or or uh, end your your hopes of happiness. I mean, one can have a very fulfilling and happy life, uh, even if this is a part of that life. Exactly, and I think it's all about, as you mentioned, hope, and it's also about recovery. And as you go through life with the recovery, uh, it can be extremely beneficial. Mm-hmm. And so we count our blessings, and when we first uh, got involved with uh, dealing with our children with mental illness, especially with our son, um, NAMI was our safety net. Mm. And so at this point in time, uh, Sue and I are really trying to be a safety net for, for other folks who are going through the same thing. Because I think... As you experience a loved one uh, with mental illness, whether it be children, sibling, husband, wife, whatever, I think the the partner that is not living with the mental illness probably needs about as much help as the individual (laughs) who is going through recovery. For sure. That's probably... uh uh, a largely untold story, although that's a story you've you've certainly uh, told tirelessly over the years. I suspect you also would uh, want to acknowledge that since you first began confronting this with with your own children, that a lot has changed in terms of the way we are able to maybe talk about mental illness in a way that probably was not the case uh, two or three decades ago, and. Uh, and we probably also, generally speaking, have a little better understanding of what's going on and how to deal with mental illness. Mm-hmm. That being said, 
That doesn't mean there isn't a whole lot of work yet to do. No, no, no. And I, I think truly it's it's all about education. And if you look at the, the mission of NAMI is to improve the quality of life for people living with a mental illness. And we do this through education, support, and advocacy. So the, one of the key things is education. And you, you have to educate the public, educate the different pieces of the public. I think in many respects the 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 social media to some extent can can really help us out. I know you go to NAMI.org, you go to NAMIKenosha.org, which is our website. A tremendous amount of information that's available to the public. Hmm. And I mean, we're looking at Kenosha County and we're trying to, to improve the quality of life for folks living right here mm-hmm. in our neighborhood. And so the, the, the NAMIKenosha.org is just a, a huge point to get information. And we want to remind people NAMI stands for the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and they do indeed do all kinds of, of very, very Im- Im- important work. I want to make sure, Jack, that we get to something that you and I were talking about before we went on the air. This was something that I think is really important to talk about. We have, I don't believe, talked about it uh, in any of your previous visits. And that is the fact that here in the city of Kenosha, there is, in effect, no psych ward, as they are commonly referred to. Uh, and, and when people find themselves in that sort of serious situation where they are requiring hospitalization under those kind of circumstances... At least generally speaking, that hospitalization has to happen someplace else. Am I right? That's exactly right. And it's been this way since Since 2002. 2002, yes. That's when we shut down the ward at St. Catharines on the north side of town, old St. Catharines. And since that time, uh, St. Luke's Hospital in Racine has been kind of the go-to point. And the issue there is that there was a facility with about 45 beds. They had pick unit, which were, it's like an ICU unit for somebody uh, with mental illness. That number has has gone down to about 12 right now. So the availability of beds is, is not there. And, I mean, there are, are beds at uh, uh, Aurora, and, and Rogers have some different facilities, uh, Oconomowoc up in, in Brown Deer, to name a couple. Uh, but many times our people will go to Winnebago, okay? And that is, I don't know, two hours mm-hmm. and transit. And uh, it's just we need to do better in Kenosha for people that are living with severe and persistent mental illness. And when I was here a year ago, and at that time I was trying to advocate for uh, a psych ward in the, in the new uh, hospital that Advocate Aurora building in Mount Pleasant. Right there. 25 on million, on, on right highway, there. Highway 50. Right, right yeah. there. Big and, facility. And, and it... It didn't happen. I, I guess they were too far along. I don't understand it. But uh, the quest will continue. Uh, recently, we've had uh, contact with Lake Behavioral uh, Hospital in Waukegan. And this is a facility that's about 21 minutes away, not two hours. 
and uh, they are for-profit uh, psychiatric hospital, psychiatric ward in a regular uh, medical hospital. And right now, our folks can go voluntarily to Lake. There are negotiations uh, in work where we can see whether it's a change of law. We don't know yet, but it's being investigated what it would take for a, an emergency detention. In other words, a Chapter 51, somebody that uh, is going involuntarily. And so we're trying to, to work that out right now. But they're a nonprofit. Maybe they can help us out in other ways. I think we need to pursue this. And yeah. they seem very, very interested. Uh, uh, Lake is also very much interested. As you know, we've created our uh, Community Crisis Prevention Center, which is really kind of a one-in-a-kind almost in the state. And so Lake has also expressed an interest. How do we do that? Hmm. Can we see it? And so I think this is important. So maybe this might be an opportunity for us to do a little bit better in Kenosha. For those of you just joining us, we're speaking today with Jack Rose, who is a board member for the uh, Kenosha County chapter of NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And we are uh, talking uh, just ahead of Mental Illness Awareness Week, which is next week. Uh, So we want to talk about a couple of, of the most important uh, efforts on, uh, that, that NAMI does in our community. And this involves uh, something that I know, Jack, is of, of tremendous interest to you, uh, crisis intervention training. And it, it, it occurs in two different ways, uh, one wing that involves the training of law enforcement and then another kind of training that involves essentially anybody else. Uh, and first of all, Kind of explain why this kind of training is so necessary and potentially uh, not only helpful but maybe even life-saving. Well, I think it the whole concept of, of crisis intervention team training <clears throat> for the law enforcement goes back uh, mid '80s, Memphis, Tennessee, and it, it started when a, uh, a NAMI member, mom, uh, whose son was uh, shot by the police. Mm. And so that incident and what followed on, so the the Memphis Police Department and NAMI Memphis got together and they created this this training to improve the toolkit for officers that are dealing with people that are in mental health crisis. And it's it's a voluntary program and it uh, it's 40 hours. It's uh, generally the way we run it here, Monday through Friday, 8 to, eight to 4.30. Uh, and we go ahead and we provide our law enforcement in Kenosha County just some of the benefits of what it's like to, to learn this. And it's a very, very detailed uh, curriculum. It's evidence-based. There are certain milestones that you have to hit, certain things that you have to present, and it has been uh, a very, very well received in uh, in the county. Uh, to date, we've had about 288 
uh, officers go through that uh, in CIT. I think it's important to go back to the history a little bit. Uh, this doesn't happen overnight. And as you know, we're an all-volunteer outfit, uh, NAMI Kenosha. So we really worked with the Kenosha Police Department, Kenosha County, uh, the Sheriff's Department, Gateway Technical College, uh, NAMI Greater Milwaukee when we first started it. And to bring it to Kenosha, uh, Judge uh, Wagner and her Kenosha County Judicial Committee were very instrumental. And this goes way back to 2007. We had the, uh, the executive director of NAMI uh, Fox Valley and Officer uh, John uh, Waltenschlager from the Appleton Police come down, briefed Judge Wagner and, and her committee, and everybody bought into it. They really did. And so that allowed us to get started. So explain over the course of five days. I mean, somebody might be kind of amazed that, that something like this could take five days. But uh, when you look at the schedule, it becomes pretty clear that you could probably go 10 days or 15, actually, in terms of all that there is to explore. Just explain the kind of things that these officers uh, end up learning about over the course of these five days. I'll be glad to. Uh, on the first day, uh, we have Dr. David Mays who was a, a noted psychiatrist in, uh, in Wisconsin. At one time, he ran a, a Mendota uh, facility. Uh, and David comes to us, and he talks about what is mental illness. And he is a great presenter. He has a good dialogue. He's been doing this for many years. But he gets into schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, depression, anxiety, PTSD. And it's it's pretty much fire hose that first day. We try to give people a break about every 50 minutes, but as you get through lunch, then you get into the, the whole thing with addiction, uh, excited delirium, um, borderline personality disorder. And so it's, it's, a, it's a, a presentation, a very uh, involved presentation, but he, he is also very adept at getting dialogue going. I mean, not get the questions, get people involved. So that's, that's great. Uh, we also have Susie Wolf from uh, Kenosha Achievement Center gets into uh, developmental disability, talks some on autism. We have uh, situations with uh, child and adolescent mental illness mm -hmm. and what we can do. Uh, we look at elder issues and uh, how we can help out. Uh, Tim Harrington comes to us and, and discusses Alzheimer's. I mean, that's that's a situation that... The police should be aware of. That's like going back to developmental disability. Yeah. Uh, their autism, and you get called for autism, and if the, the child has autism and he's a runner, he may go towards a body of water that right. may be close. It's just, it's just the way it is. And uh, we also have uh, uh, a representative from the Department of Justice that talks about uh, not guilty by reason of insanity, hmm. and NGI, and just actually the extremely uh, low recidivism for people that are in, in that program. We get into family dynamics. Uh, Jeff Wombolt has a great thing about taking care of our own. I think the, the Kenosha Police Department under Chief Morrissey have done a great deal with respect to peer support. So that's important for the officers that are out there. 
we also take the folks out and show what we have available in the community. We mm. go to the Crisis Prevention Center. Ah. We stop by Kenosha Human Development Services. We go to Bridges Community Center. And now we also go, it used to be Shelter Care. That's a, a adolescent uh, a residential area down by Library Park. Now it's the Kaufman uh, Center. Mm-hmm. And so they take, you know, it's a huge thing when you when you deal with young people with mental illness and, you know, treatment and then also if there's a requirement for residential care. Uh, there is a, uh, a reference panel, resource panel, and a couple of things that we do, we have one of our inner own voice speakers come and they talk about what it's like living with mental illness. They talk mm-hmm. about the dark days, the acceptance, the treatment, the coping strategies, the hopes and the dreams. And it, so it gives the officers, not me talking about my son or daughter, but somebody that's really living. That's right. been extremely helpful. We go into a, a legal forum. Also, uh, we have a, a session on veteran issues. Uh, Christina Lessie from, uh, from Kenosha, who works at, at the Lovell Center, comes down, gives us a great presentation. Officer Luke Hoffman, who is just doing an outstanding job, he also uh, tells of his experience. Hmm. And then for the last day and a half, Dr. Eileen Abrams is, is leading the charge, and she is a psychologist who works at the uh, prison system in Milwaukee. Hmm. And she talks at length to uh, trauma care trauma in children. Uh, Brenda Wesley comes and talks about stigma. And then we go all the way into the last day. And we have some sessions on active listening, de-escalation. And then the officers for the majority of that last day are, they go through role plays. And we go down to the house facility right here uh, on, on the campus on the south end. Two officers go in. We bring in actors and they may see somebody who is uh, experiencing schizophrenia, uh, depression, suicidal tendencies, and the officers see if they can use what we have just been going through for the last four days. Right. It's been fantastic, and then right after that, they get uh, debriefed on the spot. So that's CIT in a nutshell. Nicely put together. Maybe more than you wanted to know. <laughs> no, that's a, no it's, it's, it's thorough and methodical and, uh, and so important, and one sort of shudders to think about uh, the, the 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 hard situation when an officer confronts somebody who is in the middle of some kind of perhaps psychotic episode and and has not received any training on uh, how right. best to deal with a situation like right. that the de-escalation uh, that you that, that that you mentioned and it's uh, gratifying to know that this training is now available and one hopes that more and more officers right. will receive this training so so. So the, the, the person having the trouble won't get hurt, so the officer themselves or innocent bystanders won't get hurt. I mean, right. this is so important. And, and it really works, too, because we get unsolicited comments on people that have participated in a mm. call uh, in response uh, given by CIT, and, it, and it, really, it really works. And it's interesting, we've also had situations where maybe you have an officer or a pair of officers that are involved in a situation with somebody with mental illness, and they're having a difficult time, and a CIT officer arrives on scene, and that that person can really help the situation. Mm. So I think it's 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 
it's earning a, a great reputation. Great. And I know that uh, a, a smaller scale training program uh, exists that is, uh, you know, not, not quite so thorough, but probably very, very beneficial nevertheless. And uh, this simpler training, crisis intervention partner training, who is, who is this envisioned for or who potentially might take this and who might really benefit from this? I think it's, it's available to anybody, and I mean that seriously. I mean, we, as we started out, we really uh, looked at uh, dispatchers. So if somebody calls in and asks for a CIT officer, the dispatcher knows what the CIT officer is. Mm. And that's been extremely helpful. I think we've had uh, ER staff from the community that attend. Nurses have attended. Social workers. Uh, We've had uh, jail staff that also attend this. And it's been extremely helpful because the jail staff, I mean, they see it every day. Sure. They really do. And so it just, it, it extends over the waterfront. And to date, we have uh, trained 910 people. And again, we usually, <clears throat> as I mentioned earlier, we have a contract with Gateway and we use a facility here and it's been extremely beneficial. But we are also trying to move west. Mm. And so in that, our next crisis intervention partner training is uh, going to be out at the the Kenosha County Center building out on Highway 50 and Highway 45. Ah, okay. We have we have the space out there. The county has been very generous in providing spaces for different types of training, and so we're going to we're going to move west. Getting out of the city. Getting out of the city, and yeah. I I should mention in CIT the five day course for law enforcement, we usually we keep that size of that class to about 26. When we go to crisis intervention partner, we expand that to about 60. Okay. So the information is out there. You can check our website. I think the last time I checked, we are at about 45 who have already signed up for this October 21, 22 class. Wonderful. Okay? And it's free. We it's need free. To, we need yes, to underscore that. So, I, I so anybody who feels like they would benefit <laughs> from this needs to understand that you're not even plunking any money down to receive I, something incredibly valuable. Yeah, I would like to say, too, on that point, uh, for us to put this on, for a CIT class, it's about $7,000. Hmm. For, for a CIP class, it's about $5,000. And so we have uh, different grants that have come in from Department of Justice, We've had uh, some grants from NAMI Wisconsin hmm. that have helped us offset these costs. And also since 2014, uh, the Mary Frost Ashley Charitable Trust has provided significant support for Kenosha CIT and CIP. Hmm. And we are extremely grateful for that, and uh, they continue to do so. So That's a big f- thank you out there. That's fantastic. The, the fact that there is a price tag attached to these uh, training sessions, again, it's not something the participants uh, pay for, but, of course, NAMI of Kenosha pays for it. Right. And so uh, uh, you have next week a couple of fundraising opportunities for people who want to support NAMI. Tell people where they should go if they uh, feel like right. ponying up some money <laughs> to help you do what you do. Okay, uh, Nami Kenosha will be uh, out there with their aprons and, and collection cans at Tenuta's on October 11th through the 13th. 
That'll be Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of next week. We'll be there from uh, like 5 to 4 to four to 7, excuse me, on Friday. And then we're 9 to 5 on uh, Saturday. And we're there from uh, about 9 to 1 on Sunday. Uh, we'll also have a presence at uh, Richter's Marketplace out in uh, Twin Lakes. And again, uh, they have been very helpful over the years with respect to our, our fundraiser. And uh, Nami Kenosha will be there from 9 to 5 on Saturday, October 12th. And one thing we can encourage people to do is if you're just, for instance, Tanudas, if you're just driving down 52nd Street, I mean, even if you have no reason to stop at Tanudas, I mean, if you don't need to shop at Tanudas, you can still stop by Tanudas and... Uh, and uh, make a donation to NAMI. And I suspect there are probably other vehicles by which donations can be made to NAMI. Yes, uh, you, we take donations all the time. I mean, you can, you can just make a donation, and you can send that to uh, NAMI Kenosha County at uh, P.O. Box 631, Kenosha, Wisconsin, 53141. Very good. And we're always, always looking for that. I should mention, as we expand with CIT, uh, this last uh, time around, September uh, 9th through the 13th of this year, there's a consortium coming together between the different law enforcement agencies, and there's a real interest. So I think that's a very positive, very, very positive. And they also got together uh, with local law enforcement and provided an advanced CIT August 19th through 20th. So... This is, this is huge for the community. So Absolutely. Uh, what is the website address for NAMI of Kenosha County? NAMIKenosha.org. NAMIKenosha.org. Kenosha. And again, right. NAMI is N-A-M-I. That stands for the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And one of its board members is uh, Jack Rose. Jack Rose, I certainly appreciate you uh, joining us today on the morning show to tell the uh, very, very important story of of NAMI, and uh, we hope that uh, a lot of people will take advantage of the opportunity to support uh, all the work that NAMI of Kenosha County does, and I thank you for being part of the morning show today. Thank you very much, Greg. Always a pleasure. The time is 8.37, and you're listening to The Morning Show on WGTD. For part two of today's morning show, we're going to be previewing for you a performance that's coming up at Carthage next Tuesday evening, October 8th, in the Campbell Student Union Auditorium. It's a performance by comedic pianist Jason Lyle Black. He has been in the area a couple of times before, and on one of those occasions, he was able to visit the morning show and our WGTD studios. Here is an excerpt from that memorable conversation with pianist Jason Lyle Black, known as the Backwards Piano Man. So, Jason, tell us a little bit about growing up and when uh, you got bitten by the musical bug, and in, in particular the piano. When did you start playing the piano? Yeah, so I started playing when I was eight, and that's about just quite uh, 22 years now. Um, and then it was really about the time I was 14 or 15 that I kind of took off and piano became a passion. So at that point, I, I'd, I'd gotten to the point as an artist where I could play a lot of you know more advanced music for the piano and starting to do the Chopin, Rachmaninoff, and and Gershwin and those kinds of really exciting pieces. And then I I got really into composition at that time. And so actually it was in high school um, that I put out my first album about 13 years ago called Flood of Keys, which um, is not available. And I mean, if people that have it, they, you know, I 
I guess it's a collector's <laughs> item now because I don't I don't make it commercially available. But that was uh, something I put out myself in high school and wrote the entire album and did all that and and the passion just kind of you know lit up from there and I just I loved doing that. Started to get into the comedic side of music as well, doing parodies in high school, and then um, later in uh, college I had the opportunity to connect with a guy named John Schmidt who. People will know from the group, uh, the Piano Guys. That's you know oh, global yeah. touring group. So John was actually a, a commercial performing artist for about 15 years before the Piano Guys became a thing as a solo artist, and um, he was mo- largely known in Utah and the kind of surrounding areas in the Mountain West. But anyway, so John and connected, kind of mentored me as well in, in college, and um, you know it's just kind of gone from there. Been been a journey. Wow. So. so were you, for instance, a music major in college? So I was not, actually. I was in the business program. Okay. And, uh, in fact, as I graduated from school, I went into um, the business field for about three years, worked for a large accounting firm, and um, was doing music still, of course, on the side. But I kind of got to the point where, as far as a career, I just thought things weren't going to work out. You know, it's it's a tough business to of make it, it in. And um, I did actually stop producing YouTube videos for a couple of years because I'd kind of reached a, a discouraging point. And then in um, about late 2014, just kind of got hit again with, hey, I really need to, you know, get back into this. And so a year later, I actually quit my job as a CPA and have now been a full-time musician for a couple of years. So, well, so I assume that when you started you started in fairly standard fashion, not with any idea that you would be making music in a relatively unconventional fashion. Right. I mean, so I mean, I assume you started playing the normal etudes that everybody plays and Mozart piano sonatas and so on. Uh, at what point did your interest in the piano, at least to some extent, shift away? I mean, maybe you still play some of that sometimes, but it's obviously not the bread and butter of what you do as a professional pianist yeah. anymore. At, at what point did, did, did you start to shift off the more typical path of, a, of, of someone serious about the piano? So that was probably a little bit about the time I was saying, kind of 14, 15, when I'd reached sort of a, a level of classical proficiency to be able to play, you know, concertos and, and Rachmaninoff pieces like that, which I, I loved. I loved the romantic composers within the classical repertoire. That's, that's the music that I still love to play from kind of that tradition. Um, but that's when I really started to do the, the backwards piano was a routine that I developed in, in high school around that time. And that's when I started making some more parodies and things. And so it really kind of around the age of 15 started to take off. And then in the, you know, years since then, it's just sort of accelerated that, you know, one of the things I do in my show is I actually do instrumental comedy at the piano and it's something that i've i haven't really seen there's there's tons of amazing comedians out there but the 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 brand i do is kind of a it's a different type of routine Mm. so you have sort of your saturday night live style comedy that's the more common type of say musical comedy where it's you know funny songs that they write and they sing or things like that so what i actually do is i talk about like here's the songs that uh, I would play for people's weddings when I get bored and they're breakup songs and you disguise them as these beautiful love songs. <laughs> yeah, right. And so, you know, you tell people the songs that you're playing and then you show them how you turn that song into this gorgeous love song and they're like, wait, how is that? Right. And then, you know, what not to play at somebody's funeral. So songs like Another One Bites the Dust, but here's how you could sneak it into somebody's funeral. Right, by playing <laughs> it in a style that, that, uh, that could actually sneak past someone who's a little inattentive. Exactly. And, yeah. and so there's kind of... Um, so I have various routines, and I'm, I'm starting to write a lot more, actually, as an artist in that that's kind of 
where the the instrumental music is actually the punchline of the joke and right. it's kind of fun so that's that's a passion that has sort of developed naturally over the past four or five years just off of actual true stories of things that I would do as an artist to stay entertained. And then I started to realize, oh, wait, this is like a comedy routine. So now I'm kind of actively, you know, looking at more types of things like that, that I can share with an audience. And, um, yeah, that that's just sort of driven my my love of the of musical comedy but i am still a, a musician very much so my my album piano preludes is my most recent album and it's my record label debut so that's with stone angel music and um i'll be performing music from that in the concerts as well and that's very um tender you know quiet kind of calming music so i sort of have two sides of my artistry if you will the the kind of very fun comedic stage side and then sort of the, the very quiet um, you know, Pandora type Jim of fall, as- type. fall asleep to, you know, calming music Soothing that people really like. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about this matter of the, the playing the piano backwards. Yeah. And I, you know, of course, I wish for, for this one moment, I wish we were on television so people could really see what we're talking about. And of course, if they haven't seen you, they very likely have maybe, but otherwise, you can certainly go to YouTube and find all kinds of examples of this where you are seated at the piano but the piano is behind you instead of fr- in front of you and your piano your hands arms are stretched behind you and you are somehow playing uh the entertainer uh not missing a note um when was the first time you attempted that and do you remember what piece of music you used the first time you just tried to do that and what in the world prompted you to try something so crazy so um, it actually was the entertainer, as oh. people know, is the ice cream truck song. That was the original song that I, I learned, and and I've done I've done a few others, but I, I still love to perform the entertainer as kind of that the song for that. Um, it uh, it was for a talent show, so it was actually kind of a summer uh, church youth camp that I was going to, and they had a big talent show, and it's like I wanted to do that, and so I had the chance to. It was a big big event. I mean, they had over fifteen almost fifteen hundred kids that were you know attending this uh, the summer camp and. Um, so I worked for, I actually went the first year and I saw the talent show and I thought, that's so cool. I want to do that. So I went home that summer and then I spent months, you know, developing that routine and I'd never, I'd I'd heard of people doing things at the piano and I I can't recall if I'd actually ever seen anybody go upside down, but I'd never seen the backwards. That's something that I'd never seen anybody do. And in fact, since then, it's still, it's extremely rare. I, I don't know of any other commercial artists who do that. There may be somebody out there. There's some people on YouTube, but um, there's really nobody commercially that actually plays behind their back, and then the pedaling with the head—that's the thing that that nobody does that. Right. Um, and in fact, when the when the Ellen show invited me to come and perform, they were like, you know, we saw a couple people play the piano behind their back, but we never saw anybody else with pedals on the ground, you know. And they were just like, that's awesome. And so they they wanted me on the show. But um, anyway, that so that that was for a for a talent show and a lot of. A lot of work, especially in the transitions, because it's when you go from sitting at the piano to sitting, you know, and I'm there with my hands behind my back. That tradi- transition takes um, took quite a bit of learning to not miss a note, as you said, and not kind of have to pause the song. And but it's right. just it's so fun now. And and in fact, you know, over the years, it's it's morphed a little bit because I've I've had circumstances where I perform it where people can't see the piano very well. You know, sometimes, I mean, you try to have the ideal circumstance, but I do a lot of corporate events, and sometimes it's just set up where somebody can't actually see me. And so what I've started doing is I actually hit the pedal a little harder with my head so that that way the people, if they can't see me pedaling with my head, they hear it. 
And so it's like it amplifies the comedy because they're sitting there and they hear this, you know, funk, funk, funk as my head keeps hitting the pedal. And uh, I hope I don't have a concussion someday from this, but <laughs> well, it's fun. What we're going to do is we will listen to you playing the entertainer. And uh, even though people can't see you do this, they will hear this seamless performance. And I'm just going to uh, chime in here uh, as you're playing and saying, and now he's backwards. <laughs> And now he's sitting on the floor on his back, and uh, and they won't hear any interruption whatsoever. So I hope people will get at least some sense of the magic that you do. So here we go. And he's backwards. He's sitting backwards on the bench. just turned around and he's playing frontwards now and now he's down on his knees still playing and now he's on his back not missing a note and now he's pedaling with his head and now he's back standing and playing frontwards The crowd is cheering, and Ellen is uh, shaking her head in wonderment. So what a great moment for you, Jason Lyle Black. Uh, some kind of talent moment, I guess, on, uh, on, on Ellen. So uh, we're going to also play an example of, of one of your, your uh, YouTube videos that has had uh, huge attention. It, it involves actually a, a, a video in which you are not seen very much at all on screen but it's something that you put together uh with your own grandparents tell us about this so my grandparents i i, I do come from a musical family I, i'm the only one that has pursued it as a career but my um you know my, my mom is a very talented flutist and her parents um are both very talented pianists and uh my grandpa's actually an organist as well so i kind of grew up around that and i grew up watching my grandparents play duets together at our family reunions um in fact uh Scott Joplin was music they'd often do. And so anyway, I got to this point where I said, well, I'd love to make a video of a, a love story of a, a couple to Disney music. And I reached out to my grandparents and said, you know, I need to cast a, an 80-year-old couple in a video. Is there any chance you might want to do this? And you know, my grandparents are very private people. And so I thought, oh, you know, they probably want to do it. But I want to give them the first invitation. And they said, oh, we'd love to. So... Um, bless my grandma's heart, you know, the day we brought this film equipment into their home and she's just like, oh, I've never been in a music video. <laughs> you know, she's seeing all these lights getting set up in their front room and we're basically turned their house into the, tried to turn it into the scene from up. And, and so I, I worked with a friend, Eric Thane from Celadora Studios and, and uh, worked with him on, on the, the concept. And then I kind of wrote the storyboard and screenplay and basically pulled in all of the props. And so you'll see the the cane with the four tennis balls from up and you see the glasses and you see the the uh the the adventure book and and the house and all these kind of the, you know the dog and all these things we really tried to recreate up and then did it as part of my grandparents anniversary celebration. And so it was just so neat and they're 
they've touched so many people around the world. I've had messages from Indonesia and from the Philippines and from Europe. And, and I had phone calls from television producers around the world and from national news media. As I said, you know, the Good Morning America and Today Show and Yahoo and Huffington Post and all these folks would, were calling me about wanting to know their story. And it's just really cool to see the impact that music has in the world for good. The people who have you know, who would sit there and say, this is my goal in 60 years. I want to be them, you know, and, <laughs> and people really long for that. I mean, the world is kind of, the families kind of are, you know, not staying together. And, and people love seeing this idea of loyalty and marriage. And it's just, so for, on a lot of fronts, both for my family, I mean, it's a family treasure for our family now, for all of my cousins and aunts and uncles to have this memory of my grandparents who, as I said, I mean, they're now in their mid eighties, you know, they're, they're up there in age, and uh, we're just grateful for for them and for their love of music and, and love of each other and, and uh, the great example that they've set. We're just going to play a few moments of this video so people can, uh, can hear it. So there is a house and uh, the various props that people might remember, very similar to uh, the opening sequence from the film Up, but uh, this is actually Jason Lyle Black's uh, grandparents, and... Uh, there's even a little booklet that's like a picture album of their adventures together. And his grandpa is sitting down at the piano and begins playing. And his grandmother in the kitchen hears this and comes into the living room. And up on the wall is a banner that says 60 years. Uh, how sweet is this? Nearly 2 million views of this uh, beautiful little video. Over 2 million on YouTube, but then about another 20 million on Facebook. Wow. <laughs> so people should seek this out on YouTube, which is where I have it. Pixar's Up in Real Life is, yep. the, is the title Search of Up it. in Real Life. In fact, yeah. Disney Disney themselves even shared this video, and uh, Hal Leonard, you know, who I'm based here, they've published the arrangement, and it's, um, in fact, Disney, about a year later, they put out a video called Doug in Real Life with the dog from Up, uh. and he would go talk to kids in a park, <laughs> and it would say, my name's Doug, I like you, let's be uh. friends. And I just can't help but wonder if this video inspired Disney to say, hey, we could go do this yeah, with a dog. Absolutely. Well, that so is, that's a real treasure, and just shows uh, another facet of your many talents. This interview with pianist Jason Lyle Black was recorded in our WGTD studios back in 2017. Jason Lyle Black is back in the area performing at Carthage College this Tuesday evening, October 8th, 7.30 p.m. in the Campbell Student Union Auditorium. The concert is free, but tickets are required. To reserve your ticket, you should go to carthage.edu slash tickets or call the Fine Arts Box Office at 262 551 6661.